show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Skolarsip, and it is Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and the big day we've been waiting for since the World Cup draw happened months ago. U.S. men's national team versus England. It's match day. And I'm coming to you from Iran, Qatar. And the Americans know what's at stake here. So much. More than just three points. Yes, respect. More importantly, the chance to solidify a place in the knockout rounds. Bragging rights, you can argue that. You can talk about that. The chance to silence the Brits. Yes, that, that's there too. But this game, we've been waiting for it. We've been waiting for it, and it's here. And I got to tell you, folks, it's uh, it, it's going to be a good one. I know some people are worried. Some U.S. fans are worried. Is this a mismatch? Is England going to tear the Americans apart? Maybe I'm a little, uh, maybe a little overconfident. Not overconfident. Maybe, maybe I'm too uh, optimistic. But I tell you what, I see this game being a very good matchup. I think it's going to be close. I think England, as much as England walked through Iran, Iran is not the U.S. You saw the first half of U.S. Wales. You saw the ability and potential and equality that this U.S. team can have. And now it's up to Greg Berhalter and his team to step up with a much better performance than the game against Wales. Because as we know, it was not a complete performance, not a complete 90-minute performance against Wales. The second half, the team tired the team folded a bit, and they cost themselves two points. And now, they, now that forces them to come into this England match knowing they need at least a draw. You get a loss in this game, it's putting serious pressure on you, not just because then you have to beat Iran. I mean, they, they have to beat Iran regardless, right? But th- this is what happens if you don't at least get a draw against England. If the U.S. loses to England, that gives England six points. It solidifies their place in the knockout rounds. And then it also gives them the freedom... To play a second choice squad in their group finale against Wales. And then you're talking about Wales being in a better position to get a better result against England than the US. And again, this is all assuming Wales beat Wales beats Iran. And if we've learned anything in this World Cup is that you cannot take anything for granted. As much as Iran looked completely overmatched against England, well Wales didn't play great either. I mean they showed some they showed something in the second half against the Americas, not to take anything away from them, but I wouldn't say we should just assume that Wales is going to just roll over Iran. We just we shouldn't assume it, but for argument's sake, Wales beats Iran. England beats the U.S. Now you're the United States, and you have no control over your fate. Now, if you get a draw against England, or the U.S. beats England, what happens then? Then England goes into that Wales game needing the result to secure, to ensure... They're a place in knockout rounds. And that changes things for Wales. And also for the U.S., because if the U.S. gets another point, let's say they tie, they, they tie England, that's two points from the first two matches, then you go into that Iran game. Yes, you still need to win, because you don't want to get three draws. Three draws isn't really going to necessarily help you. But it lets you know if you win, you're in. You get five points, you're in. You're into the knockout rounds. And if, and, and if by chance the United States can beat England, then you go, in that, you go into that Iran match knowing that you just need a draw. Not that you ever want to just play for the draw, but 
it's it's a different kind of pressure if you're sitting on four points as opposed to sitting on two points, and even less sitting on one point. There's so many subplots and storylines in this U.S. England match that that are, are making that add to it. Aside from the, the actual soccer, it's aside from the actual quality of England against the quote unquote golden generation of this U.S. team. You have the England-born players on the U.S. You have the players who play in England on the U.S. You also have coaches for the U.S. on the assistant coaches for the U.S. that are English. So there's so many ties. There's so many ties here. And and one of the ones I touched on in, on SBI, in case, you, in case you missed it, is on one side you have Jude Bellingham and Bukayo Saka, two of the best young talents in this World Cup and in, and in the world, in world football, world soccer. Yes, I said football. I'm going to say football a few times in this one because it's U.S.-England. We're going to say both. We're going to say soccer. We're going to say football. And on, in this corner, you have Jude Bellingham and Bukayo Saka. And in the other corner... You have the U.S.'s young generation. You have Giorena, if he plays. And he'll play. He's going to play, I think. And you have Yunus Musa. Yunus Musa, the youngest starter for the U.S. in their opening match. And former England under-17 midfielder. And for those of you unfamiliar, yes, Yunus Musa grew up in England. He First, he, he was born in the United States. He moved to Italy when he was younger. He lived in Italy till he was about, I believe, nine, and then he moved to England. And he lived in England from nine on through till he turned professional and went to Spain to play for Valencia. He was in the Arsenal Academy, same as Saka. He was in the England youth national team setups along with Bellingham and Saka. So there's all these ties. I mean, he still has a British accent. You can hear it. So the, that matchup to me is very exciting. And we're going to talk about matchups. We absolutely are going to talk about some of the best matchups to watch in this. But I'm going to run through the lineup, the lineup options that Greg Berhalter has uh, going into this match. We're going to start. Look, goalkeeper, you know, Matt Turner's your guy. He's going to start. There's no doubt about that for me. Defensively, Anthony Robinson's your left back. There's no doubts there. At center back, I think you'll see the same pairing. Walker Zimmerman, Tim Ream, I thought they played well. Obviously, the penalty that Zimmerman gave up was bad. But that doesn't uh, erase what was another an otherwise very good performance. Uh, unfortunately for him, obviously, you, that's a big mistake. But he's someone who's been so consistent in qualifying and was playing well up until that point. Gareth Bell did what he does, forces people into mistakes. But I don't think that takes away from what Zimmerman can bring. So you're going to see, I think you'll see Zimmerman and Ream. As much as, yes, having someone like Cameron Carter-Vickers play against England, his, his birth nation, that, that, that would be kind of a great subplot. That would be a great little storyline, but I, I don't know if we see that necessarily. I could see Carter-Vickers absolutely against Iran in the third game, but I think we're going to see Zimmerman and Ream. And then right back is kind of the big question mark for me. So Junior Dest, he showed, some, he showed rust, I'd say, in that first match against Wales. He, he obviously hasn't played that much. He's coming off an injury. He showed some good things, but he, he needed to show more in the attack. He needed to have bring more to the attack. That was not there. That, there was not enough of that. But according to Greg Berhalter, he is ready to go. He's, he's fit. Everybody's ready to go. There's no issues with injuries, according to Berhalter. Now, at this point, you have to you know, kind of take everything with a grain of salt when that, that, they, that Berhalter says. There's a lot of conflicting 
comments and, and what have you, and, and obviously the, the, the U.S. has no, there's no reason to be forthcoming when it comes to injuries. Teams don't have to disclose that stuff. I said this last episode, they don't. They don't have to tell us if a player's injured, if a player's not going to play. None of that is uh, required at the World Cup. You could say someone's perfectly fine and he could have a broken leg. No one knows. And no one's obligated. As much as you could argue, well, listen, if you allow teams to just keep information like that private, then that opens the door for somebody to know and use that information for gambling purposes. That That's always a slippery slope, but that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother debate where I didn't get into at this point, but that's something to consider. And it, but it's not changing. Let's, let's be real. It's not changing. Teams are not, teams at this World Cup are not going to divulge their injury situations. Not completely, honestly, because they don't have to. So why do it? If you don't have to do it, why do it? So I, I don't begrudge Greg Berhalter or anyone for playing coy or not being complete, completely forthcoming with their injury situations because they don't have to be. They don't have to do it. They don't have to bring it. So why do your opponent a favor by letting them know that, you know, the situation? And I think that's part of the reason, and I'm going to get to it in a little bit, but I think that's part of the reason Greg Berhalter is doubling down on this Greg, this uh, Gio Reyna situation. I'm, I'm not, I'm not even going to go, I'll get to that in a minute, just to be clear, because I am going to get to it, because that, that situation is just, it's become a whole, a whole, uh, whole storyline that I can't, it's just not, it won't go away, and Greg, and Greg Berhalter did, him no, did himself no favors by doubling down, but we, I'm holding off because I want to get to that, that's separate. We got to finish the line up here. So, Serginio Dest, I believe, if he's fit, if he's fit as, as, every, as Berhalter claims, Dest is your guy. He's going to start. He's been your first choice right back. As much as he can, you can argue he's a defensive liability, how will he match up against Raheem Sterling? Is he going to be better in the attack than he was against Wales because you need him to be? But if he's healthy, he starts. If he's not healthy, if he's not fit, if he's still, he doesn't recover in time from the Wales match, or if it's just decided that he doesn't have the fitness load to, to handle starting against a team like England, who starts? Do you go with Shaq Moore? Arguably your best defensive right back, your best defender for, at the right back position. Do you go DeAndre Yedlin, World Cup experience? Although now more players have World Cup experience, so he's no longer the only American with World Cup experience, but he's a veteran. Or do you go Joe Scally, who, while he's inexperienced on the international level, he has been playing consistently in the Bundesliga, playing at a very good level. And also could form a very, very interesting tandem on the right wing with Giorena. If you start Giorena. Giorena and Joe Scali, they have a long history. They're very, very, very close friends. They came up in the NYCFC Academy together. They won titles together at the Academy. And they're now in Germany together in the Bundesliga. And they're, they're even closer now. So they have this bond. And look, it's not about, oh, get friends to play together. But they have an understanding there. They've played together. They know each other. So, so that it, the added benefit of, on top of the fact that Scott is a good defender, I know he hasn't necessarily shown it in a couple of his appearances for the U.S. He only has a handful, and and I know people will love to dwell on on how much he struggled in, in his debut when he played at left back, and he really struggled in that game. But I don't think that takes away from the fact that he plays well in Germany. He plays well in the Bundesliga, a good league, one of the better leagues in Europe, in the world. So I think you at least need to consider Scally for right back. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. But I, th- I think if Dest is healthy, obviously he's the guy. The more cautious decision would be go Shaq more because of his defensive quality. 
And because of your concerns about the potential left back, th- left wing threats of England, whether it's Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, whoever you play, whoever they deploy at left wing. Sterling started the, the first match against Iran for England. So right back, Dest. Now the midfield. And Adam, Tyler Adams, Yunus Musa, they're starters. They're locked in. They're healthy. They're good to go. They are in the lineup. Pen, put, write it in pen. Those two are starting. The third one is a bit is a big question, right? Weston McKinney starts when he's healthy. When he's 100%, he starts. And apparently, even when he's not necessarily 100%, he starts. I, he started against Wales. And he was the first player to come out. He did not play well against Wales. Weston McKinney did not play well under any by any metric you can argue I mean obviously Walker's room with the penalty he gave up he kind of becomes the you know you by default you give him the worst grade or you say he was the worst of the starters for the US but Weston McKinney for me was the worst starter for the United States for his overall time on the field his passing was erratic his positioning was a bit off he was chasing the game a bit he wasn't reading he was reacting instead of reading the game he just was off and you could tell he hasn't played much he hasn't played in a while and, that, and that's there's some rust there, no question. He came off the field a bit hobbled against Wales, so you wonder where he is fitness-wise. But Greg Berhalter says he's healthy. So if he's healthy, you think, okay, he, he'll he start, right? Because he starts. He's always a starter. But if he's not healthy, you have a very good option in Brendan Aronson. And for a multitude of reasons, Brendan Aronson feels like a very, very, very good fit in this game and someone you absolutely should put into the lineup. He obviously plays in England now. He's in outstanding form. And, and you know, he came, out, he came out against Wales and he made some things happen. Could he have been a bit better in the final third and the final pass, the final play? Yes, he could have been, but he was active. He was involved. He was putting pressure on the Welsh defense. And I think you give him, I th- for me, if, if, if there is any question about McKinney's fitness, and there, how, I don't know how there couldn't be, given how he hasn't played much beyond the Wales match, and then he came out early in the Wales match, for me, there has to be a question about his fitness. And if there is, you start Aronson. Especially with England in the midfield, they have this, the midfield battle is where the game's going to be won when it comes down to it. I mean, yes, you can say, oh, well, you know. U.S. fullbacks against the, the, the English wingers and, and vice versa. But the midfield, when you talk about Mason, the potential uh, trio of England with Mason Mount, Jude Bellingham, against Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams, and either Aronson or McKinney, I mean, you're, you're really, uh, you know, Declan Rice as well, obviously, for England. He started the first match. You, you know, you, you wonder if he's going to if he's going to start. But Rice, Bellingham, and Mount, that's their that's their middle three. That's a very, very good. That's a, you know, you're talking probably $250 million on the transfer market. All right, maybe that's a lot. Maybe that's too much. But it's there's a lot of money right there in that midfield. It's a lot of quality in that midfield. Jude Bellingham is one of the best young midfielders. And you can even almost drop the young off. I mean, he, you know, it's not its not even a debate in terms of being one of the best young players in the world. But forget age. He's, he's developing into one of the best midfielders, period, in the world. So Moose is going to have his hands full. Adams is going to have his hands full. And McKinney, if he starts, will have his hands full. And that's where I can see Burhalter considering McKinney because of his power in the middle because of his strength in the middle and with Bellingham and, and Bellingham and the qualities that he has McKinney matches up better 
than say an Aronson. I can see that. I can I could absolutely see the argument for that. And look, it's a good problem to have. Do you go with the Juventus midfielder or do you go with the Leeds United midfielder who's in outstanding form? So you, either way, you got a good option, right? But this is a decision you need to get right. And if McKinney, if McKinney's not 100% and he's going to give you the level he gave you against Wales, that's not good enough. It wasn't good enough against Wales. What do you think is going to happen against England? He's going to get run ragged. So for me, I go Aronson. Now, moving on to the front three, uh, that, that you know, it, there's a few questions there. Christian Pulisic, he's going to start, right? I know some people are like, well, why does he go 90? Why, you know, is he going to have enough left in the tank? Look, he hasn't played. He doesn't play as, that much for, 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 for Chelsea. So does he have that workload in him to go uh, to, to start a second straight match? Yes, I think he's going to start. I don't, I don't think you're keeping Christian Pulisic off the field. He is one, he's your first starter you put in in the front three. But the other two are the questions. Tim Weah scores the goal against Wales. You know, that that he you got to find a way to get him on the field. But then you have Gio Reyna, who for me, if you're asking me to bet, I'm putting I'm betting the house on him starting against England. I just if he doesn't start against England then there's some real issues here, there's some real questions. And I know Greg Berhalter doubled down on Thanksgiving Day regarding his handling of the Gio Reyna situation. And for those who missed it. He basically said it, there was no injury issue with Giorena and his decision to not play Giorena. So basically, it was a complete tactical decision to not play Giorena and to bring in a Jordan Morris when he brought Jordan Morris for the final few minutes of the match. And I know people are going nuts. And I, I can't really blame them. I cannot really blame any U.S. fans for, for you know going ballistic because there's no excuse for that if it's true but again like i said you got to take all this stuff with a grain of salt is greg berhalter playing chess is he trying to be you know trying to be coy and you know i really gave it some thought like why would he do that mind you he contradicts himself because after the match against wales his own words in his own words he said regarding giorina and bringing him into that wales match and and talking about the the muscle tightness and what he had dealt with coming off of the friendly against algarafa last week his exact words where it was too soon. It was too soon. His own words, talking about Giorena and bringing him in off of the muscle tightness. So he goes from his own words being it is too, it was too soon to Thanksgiving Day, the day before U.S. England, saying, no, it was, it was tactical. I, I chose to bring in Jordan Morris over Giorena. So why would he do that? Why would he say that? And, I, you know, I thought about it. And you know what? It makes sense from a coach's standpoint. If you think about it, right? You have everyone under the sun in terms of fans freaking out about Jordan Morris playing over Giorena. Now, if you're the coach of the team, you have to, you have to worry about your players. You have to worry about how they, how things, they're perceived, how they handle things, how they, the messages that they get. So, like, if you're, if you're the U.S. coach and Jordan Morris is your player, are you throwing Jordan Morris under the bus by saying, by basically going to the media a couple of days later and saying, yeah, the only reason I played Jordan Morris is because I had to, because Gio Reyna couldn't play. Like, that, that, that's, not a, that's not great for Jordan Morris, right? That's not a great for morale thing. But I, and, and I know the counter will be, well, what about Gio Reyna? Like, you, you know, do you care about Gio Reyna? And that was, my, that was my biggest critique of Greg Berhalter's handling of this whole situation is that is if, he, if he communicated well with Gio Reyna, if he communicated clearly with Giorena about his situation about how he about how he's handling him 
then in theory we should not have had a G Arena contradicting Greg Berhalter after the Wales match. That should that would not happen in theory. If Greg Berhalter addressed this with him and kind of let him know, kept him in the loop, let you know, let him understand. Listen, we know you're carrying something, so we will probably save you from this. Like, if we need you in this game, if we're losing in this game, we'll bring you in. But if we're winning, we might see this as an opportunity to not to to rest you, to to not put you in a game that's going to be physical and going to be a you know a dogfight. A physical battle that could, you know, keep make you vulnerable for an injury against against this Wales team. But you could play if we need you. If we're losing, then then you can get in this game. We want to save you for England. If that and look, that discussion could have happened. It could have. We don't know. Only Giorena knows. Only Greg Berhalter knows. And after the match, Greg Berhalter, uh, Giorena, he you know he he came. He sounded a little. I mean, obviously he was unhappy. And you could could you blame him? Right? It's he he's at his first World Cup match. He doesn't get in the game. You know he wanted to be in that game. 20 year old responds and you know he responds in the way he responded that you know he pretty much said look the coach doesn't owe me anything the coach doesn't have to tell me what he's you know like and it's true Berhalter can do what he wants but it does help to communicate so we don't end up in the, with these situations that have become you know it's taken on a life of its own and obviously you always you know you always have to take with a grain of salt what the the real backlash is, right? In terms of the the, the social media fervor, you know, because you know, yes, are some are people freaking out? Yes, but how many how many people see it for what it is? How many people are looking at it rationally and saying, yeah, you know what, Berhalt is just he's doing what he has to do. But if if Giorena was a hundred percent, there's no way he's not playing. You would think, and I'll be the first to say, listen, if Giorena is in or was in fact one hundred percent healthy and there were one no issues whatsoever and he didn't get on the field against Wales that is an indefensible decision a hundred percent indefensible decision but I don't buy that that was the decision and Berhalter gave it away himself in the post game when he used the exact words it was too soon so sorry Greg I know you want to double down now. You're trying to protect your player. You're trying to protect Jordan Morris. You're trying to protect the makeup of the locker room or the temperament of the locker room by by, by kind of in, in your own way defending your guy. But you gave it away on Monday. And now I just, and I hate to like kind of dwell on this, but I just I just wanted to just kind of lay it out here for everyone because I know there's some people who are looking at this and saying, what in the hell is going on? And what I'd say is I think we will see it for ourselves on Friday against England. Does Giorena play? Does Giorena start? Because he is too good. For me, a healthy Giorena is too good to not get on the field. And I think most people agree with that. I think that's, there's not even an argument there. He's too good a player. I mean, he's, for me, he's the second most dangerous attacking player. I mean, you could argue he, for me, when he's in form, he's the most dangerous attacking player. More dangerous than Christian Pulisic, even. Although that's a debate, right? A, a, you know, in form Pulisic is, is, you know, he's, that's a level that we've seen for the U.S. So, for me, we'll see on Friday. If Giorena starts, then we'll, then, hopefully that will then put things in a little perspective there. Because, if you know, if he goes from not playing at all, to starting against England, that tells you right there. It was not as simple as, oh, I just didn't think, you know, like I didn't, I had other options to play. Then that'll give it away. Now, 
if Jermaine doesn't play against England, or if he doesn't start, or he barely you know, he comes on late in the game, and he's not much of a factor in this game, then we have real questions. What is that? Is what's going on? Because he's too good. You got to get him on the field. And I think Greg Berhalter will get him on the field. I think he's going to start. And getting back to the point of the front three, I know this is a whole tangent, but I had to get to this. Who starts at striker? Who starts at the right wing? Tim Way scores the goal. You figure he has to stay in the lineup, but. Giorina's creativity, uh, his ability to unlock defenses, his ability to combine, his ability to create his own shot. For me, you put him on the field. But if you put him on the field, what happens to Tim Weah? And I would argue, and I think a lot of people would love to see it, putting Tim Weah at the striker position. A position he's played before uh, on the youth national team level. For those who don't remember, he played. He played there for the U.S. under twenties. And uh, funny enough, I saw Ty Ramos, who was Tim Weah's under twenty coach, uh, under twenty World Cup coach. Ty Ramos is here working, uh, doing doing Spanish television, and we had a good chat. And and he and he brought it up. He, you know, Ty Ramos, like, yeah, you know, he. Well, we know Tim Weah can play the, can play the striker position. And you saw against Wales that was a bit that was a striker's goal. I mean, his, his you know middle in middle channel run. I mean, he like a striker. He like a pretty good striker on that goal. So for me, I want to see Pulisic way up, rain up. But are we going to see that? Or is Greg Berhalter going to look at Josh Sargent's performance, which was a good performance against Wales? He did a good job as a, as a target striker. He was involved. It was his hold-up play that helped, helped on the sequence on the goal. So, and he obviously has the experience of playing in England. I mean, right now he's in the league championship, but he was in the Premier League last year. He, he can handle the physicality. I think of of playing against England and their big center backs. You have John Stones, Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire is expected to start. He's reportedly going to start, which you know I'm sure some U.S. Uh, players might be happy to see. Although Maguire is a little different level. Like we know Harry Maguire at Man United, the in recent years has been pretty terrible. But for England, he's been a lot better. So let's not maybe go throwing a parade at the fact that Harry Maguire is going to start because that, that might not necessarily be the best, the good thing that maybe some U.S. fans think it, it is. But again, Josh Sargent, physically, he can handle that. And what about Jesus Ferreira? And I know the contingent that can't stand MLS players will say, why? Why do you want to play Jesus Ferreira? He, he hasn't played in a month. Uh, and I would argue just his mobility, his ability to combine, his ability to press because of the player of the options that you have for that position. He is absolutely the best in terms of being able to press, in the terms of being able to put pressure on the opponent when they have the ball. And the pressing from the front is a big part of the system and a big part of the system that Berhalter plays. So that is what's in Ferreira's favor. But for me, I'm going Weah. And if I'm not going Weah, I'm going Josh Sargent as your striker. I think it has to be one of those two options. I know Haji Wright came on against Wales and showed a little bit, you know, and he's obviously a big presence. He's, he's a big physical player. So he, he's someone to consider. But I think you go Weah or Sargent. I would go to Weah. I would go Weah. But I think Berhalter is going to go Sargent. And if you're asking me to, you know, who am I betting on him going with? I see him going with Sargent. So we'll see how that U.S. team can do against England. And from just a personnel standpoint, England should win, right? Just because they have the better players. But it, it still comes down to a team performance. And we saw the U.S. in the first half play with confidence. We saw them knock the ball around. We saw them press well. Can they do it against England? And I, I believe they can because I don't see them being overwhelmed by England. They're not going to be intimidated by England. They know these guys. 
In a lot of cases, they know these guys extremely well. Gio Reyna and Jude Bellingham are, you know, the tightest of friends. They're, they're, Gio Reyna said it a few days ago. Bellingham is his best friend at Dortmund. Uh, Eunice Musa is, came up and grew up with some of these guys, with, with you know, Bellingham and, and Saka. And, and you have Adams and Aronson and Reem, potentially Sargent, all who have played Premier League, played, have played these same players that they're going to face. So there will not be that, oh, man, look who I am playing against. Because that happens. That happens in the World Cup. Although I will argue the this is the World Cup of the underdog. This is the World Cup of, of teams not caring who they're playing against. We saw it from Canada. Canada took it to Belgium. And yes, I know they lost. I know they lost. But they, they outplayed Belgium. You can argue they were the better team on the day. Japan beats Germany, Saudi Arabia beats Argentina. You're seeing draw. You're seeing draws. You're seeing teams get points, take points. Underdogs take points all over this tournament. So there's no reason why this U.S. team, with the talent that they have, can't get a result. And they and I think they will. We'll see if they get it done. But you know what? It's going to come down to some big matchups. It's going to come down to some big matchups. And uh, right off the bat, you have to start with Bukayo Saka against Anthony Robinson. And that, for me, that's the one. Robinson played very well against Wales. He obviously plays in the Premier League uh, very high level. He's a big part of Fulham's success, uh, the season that Fulham's had. And uh, he's going to have—he's that's the matchup. Saka scores two goals against uh, Iran. He's coming off of that two-goal performance. They, they won 6-2, and Saka was excellent. But Robinson knows him. He's played against him. Does that mean he's going to shut him down necessarily? No, but that's the matchup. That's the key right there. Because if Robinson can help neutralize Saka, then that, then that allows the rest of the group to focus on dealing with, with, with Harry Kane. And if Harry, and Harry Kane, it seems, I mean, he, spoke, he was part of the press conference that spoke to the media on, uh, on Thursday, on Thanksgiving Day, and, and he, he should be your guy at Stryker. So Zimmerman and Reem... Obviously, that's another matchup you can argue, uh, talk about. Zimmerman and Reem versus Harry Kane. And Reem, obviously, his face came before. Uh, Zimmerman physically has that has the ability to, 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 to keep a body on Kane. But look, Kane is one of the better strikers in the world. So that's that's a challenge in itself, no question. And I know some people say, ah, oh, well, maybe don't start Zimmerman, especially what Bale did to him. But look, Bale would have did that to a lot of stri- defenders in this in this World Cup. So like, let's, let's get this straight. With, with the whole Zimmerman thing. Zimmerman is your starter at center back. He's your best option to start in that position. And one mistake does not change that. And that's the thing. Some people just get a little too reactive with, with, with these, these things. He made a mistake, but he is still your guy there. And now it's up to him and it's up to Reem to deal with Harry Kane. And it's not going to be easy, to be clear. It's not. But if Robinson can deal with Saka... That'll make things that much easier in terms of being to isolate your defensive uh, responsibilities on a, on a Harry Kane. Now, another matchup to watch is on the right wing for the U.S., and that's either Gio Reyna or Tim Weah against Luke Shaw. And you can argue Luke Shaw, you know, is he a defensive liability? He's obviously had some good tournaments before. He was good in the Euros. But... You can either have Tim Weah's speed to deal with against him, playing in a straight-up 4-4-2. And I know Weah, aside from the goal, he had a really quiet day. And part of that was Wales playing five in the back. There's not much room there for, for wide players to operate. This is going to be different. England is, gonna, is expected to play four in the back. 
you know that you know their fullbacks also like to get forward, so there will be that possibility for space in behind. So it's either going to be Wea or it's going to be Giorena. And I think that is an area that you could see the U.S. have some success, whether it's Reina, whether it's Wea. But that's a big matchup. If you're England, if you're Gareth Southgate, that's a matchup that you need. That if you you know if you if Luke Shaw can hold his own there, and keep and contain a way or contain a arena, it definitely limits the U.S. attack. So that's a big one for England. As I mentioned earlier, Zimmerman Zimmerman versus Kane. That's a, that's another matchup. Obviously, Reem's going to be involved as well. But Zimmerman Kane from a physicality standpoint, and I know some people are gonna be like, "What Zimmerman versus Kane? Kane is gonna roast Walker Zimmerman." Sure, you could you could say that. I mean, that's you know Harry Kane against most center backs in this tournament. You're gonna go with Kane, but we'll see how Zimmerman responds. I mean, he's a guy. I, I tell you what, I think that penalty is gonna do something in terms of motivating him. He's gonna come out. I, I think he's gonna come out in this one and have a good game. So we'll see. Obviously, you have Tyler Adams against Mason Mount. That's another one. If Mount starts, I mean, he obviously started against Iran, and uh, we'll see what kind of squad rotation there is. If you have a Grealish or, or, or what have you, obviously, Southgate has a plethora of options in his attack, in his midfield. But Tyler Adams, obviously, man of the match against uh, against Wales, for me, for my money, man of the match. And you, you, you know he's up for this one. You know Tyler Adams is ready to go for this, this one against England, and I, I think he's going to have a big game. And last but certainly not least, Jude Bellingham versus Yudis Musa. And and obviously this isn't like, you know, it's not a necessarily straight up that they're going to face each other and see a lot of each other because you could see Weston Kinney matching up against Bellingham. You could see Brendan Aronson matching up. But Bellingham is the guy. He's the engine. He's the one. If you're the U.S., you need to win the battle or at least come out even in the battle with Bellingham. You cannot let him dominate. And he can do that. He has that quality to dominate. So this is a great opportunity for a Yunus Musa, who we have seen. We've seen Yunus Musa take it to a level where he just can be, he can just run run through midfields, where he just lot put, you know, he puts his engine on a different level. The U.S. needs that level against England because Bellingham is a best 11 caliber midfielder. So I think that's a matchup absolutely that, that the U.S. is going to need need to win or at least to, to come out even to have a chance to, to, to win or even to get a point. So um, but those are the matchups I'm looking forward to. I think that I think those are the big ones for sure. And uh, if you're asking me my what my prediction is, I'm, I've got I've won one. I think it's going to be one one. And to be clear, England is the favorite. They have the quality. If they play well, if they if they play to their ability, their level, they will beat the U.S., They'll beat the U.S. seven out of ten times, six, seven out of ten times. But the U.S. can beat them. If the U.S. plays their their game, if if the right lineups out there, and and if England, you know, if they're off the mark, if they're off their game, the U.S. can absolutely get this result. And we've seen it in this World Cup. You can't think that upsets can happen, and it's not just about an upset. Like the U.S. has the quality, in my opinion, and then we saw it against Wales in the first half. So we'll see if they can pull it off. This is a big one. Not only for the points, not only for the position in, in the table and the chance to get to the round 16, but also just from, from, from a credibility standpoint, uh, you know, sending a message to the world that this U.S. team is to be taken seriously. And obviously the players, you know, they, they, I don't know how much time they're spending thinking about that, but obviously media, we the media, fans, I know fans are thinking about it as well. Like, look, you know, the, 
the English are very, uh, what's the word? I don't want to say arrogant, but it, the English, uh, for the most part, you know, they're walking into this one thinking, oh, cake, the U.S., we're going to steamroll the U.S. Although the talking to the English media, the English media, uh, a, a lot of the English media that, that I've met here and, and, and that I've spoken to here, like they, they are not being overly confident. And maybe it's because of, you know, what's happened in the past with England. We all remember 2010. In South Africa, the one-one draw. I was. I remember being there for that one, and going into that one, it was a similar situation. Actually, it was. A, it was even more pronounced. The the confidence in the England camp, in terms of the media, in terms of the fans. Back then, in 2010, it was. It was supposed to be a walk. It was supposed to be a domination. England. If you remember the headlines in the newspapers when the groups came out, and it was. And it was easy in, in big letters. E A S Y, England, Algeria. Slovenia yanks <laughs> the, the Y in easy was yanks right so England was just going to steamroll that group and they were supposed to steamroll the US and what happened one one draw and as much as that was 12 years ago I think England I think the English at least the media they understand like look this US team is a different kind of team the US was supposed to lose 12 years ago and didn't and now this US team is better this England team isn't necessarily better so, uh, you know what? It's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be a good matchup, and I'm going to go draw. I'm going to go 1-1 draw in this one, and uh, and we'll see. We'll see if they can, uh, if the Americans can deliver a performance. I think they're up for it. Um, they're, I don't think they're going to they're going to wilt. I don't think they're going to necessarily be be overwhelmed. They have that one World Cup game under their belt, and that's big. That's big just to have that and just to understand now like this is a game. This is this is just not that this is just another tournament, but this is still the game that, you know, and now you've already had this one game under your belt. You've experienced it. You you know, you can play well at on this level because you saw it in the first half against Wales. So I think you're going to see a confident U.S. team. I'm going to go one one who scores the goal for the U.S., you think about it. I'm saying Gio Reyna because how that, how could he not? How could Gio Reyna not score to just add, keep adding to this storyline, this subplot that, that's going on with Gio Reyna? I think Gio Reyna scores one one draw, and then the U.S. is in a very good shape heading into their group finale against Iran. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they can get it done. But definitely, that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening to this. Uh, hopefully, you're listening to this nice and early in the morning ahead of the U.S. game. And, uh, you know, I was going to put something out on Thanksgiving Day. And then I thought, you know what, Who's gonna, who wants to listen to a podcast on Thanksgiving Day? Um, hopefully it's Black Friday morning for you and you're doing your online shopping. This is, you know, Christmas shopping time and you're giving this show a listen. Um, but definitely uh, make sure you check out SBI Soccer for all your post-game coverage. And also, if you're listening before the match, some pre-game coverage as well. Where we have some articles on, on uh, previewing the match as well. So, so check those out. And definitely in the post-game Make sure you check out the post-game coverage on SBISoccer.com. And if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe. Uh, definitely thank you to, to, to everyone who uh, subscribed this month. I'm going to keep it rolling. We're going to be here throughout the tournament, bringing you everything not only from the U.S.'s perspective, but you know when the run ends for the United States, we will keep it going with continued World Cup coverage from here. Um, but I think that's it. That wraps it up. Definitely thank you for listening, as always. And uh, we'll, we'll be back with the post-match. Uh, I'll see you when the next episode is. I'm thinking if I can knock one out the night of, I mean, that'd be ideal, right? Because after the Wales game, I was just wiped out. I needed an entire day to recover. This time around, I'm going I'm to make sure that we get an episode out for the next morning. So stay tuned for that. But as always, I'm Ivis Galarsep. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>